This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. If you were tuning in looking for news of the world of Ireland and of Carlock Kilkenny at 9 o'clock, apologies due to a technical difficulty. We haven't been able to bring you that, but we'll have it for you at 10 o'clock. Do stay tuned until then. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of great music banter and the world's easiest quiz. Well done to Mary Hughes in Tullerone and of course to Brian for bringing us the news that the Kardashians are ending their long-running TV series. Maybe that's not news to you, but it's very much news to me. So after hearing that shock news, I wondered to myself how much the various spin-off businesses created by the various members of the Kardashians are worth. Well, wait for this. According to Forbes magazine, Kim Kardashian's various business interests are worth in and around $1 billion. Meanwhile, Kylie Kardashian was worth $900 million, but her wealth has plunged to around $700 million, while Chloe Kardashian is worth a mere $50 million. Now, we don't have time to bring you you the business stories of Kim or Courtney or Kendall Kardashian or the other members of the family who I don't know, but who presumably all have names beginning with K. But the Kardashians are surely a lesson on how to turn a family drama, all sorts of fun and frolics mixed with media exposure, don't forget the media exposure, into a business empire. Kim even published a coffee table book of selfies. I could go on about their various business pursuits, but maybe if you're a family in Carlock Kilkenny that uh, fancies letting Casey Laura into your home, we could uh, get some sort of uh, sideline businesses going. I jest, of course. But maybe you're thinking of following the Kardashians and launching your own family business empire because apparently lots of people have been thinking about starting their own businesses during the pandemic. We'll hear from Carlow Local Enterprise Office about what courses and assistance they and other local enterprise offices can offer you if you're thinking of starting your own business. We'll have another of our popular 20 questions features and I'll be bringing you the story of a Kilkenny-based business whose clients include the All Blacks, Manchester United and the six-in-a-row Dublin football team. But first, this weekend is full of the news of the G7 meeting in Cornwall in the UK and our screens are full of pictures usually taken on balconies overlooking empty beaches and rather grey looking seas of world leaders elbow bumping, gurning and smiling awkwardly, usually with the dishevelled looking Boris Johnson with his shirt hanging out or his hair tossed, before they all go inside to discuss trade wars, climate change and the evolving international political and environmental issues. But last weekend, the G7 finance minister ministers held a very important meeting in London. There wasn't a lot of photos of them elbow bumping and smiling at each other but at the end of their meeting, as is normal, they issued a communique and within that were 150 words that will likely have a profound impact on the business tax regime in Ireland over the coming years and indeed decades. And joining me on the line is Eamon Quinn, business editor of the Irish Examiner, who's been following this story very closely and is going to help us unpack what can be a very complex issue, but one which will affect us all. Good morning, Eamon. 
Good morning, John. I don't think I can follow the Kardashians of this one, though. Ah, you'd never know. You'd never know. Maybe, uh, you know, I haven't uh, I haven't seen the Eamon Quinn perfume, but I'm sure it's very distinctive. <laughs> working on it. <laughs> Do well. When you've got it, uh, we'd be delighted to cover it here on the bottom line. But listen, um, this is a very serious story for Irish business and the Irish public finances, but it's not, not a kind of a flash in the pan. It's gone on a long time, and you've been writing about it since, like, not 2000 three you were telling me it's a long long time I think the, what happened last weekend was that the as you were saying John the finance minister to the G7 the, the unglamorous part of the G7 but it is hugely important um, they agreed two things basically um, as you were saying 150 words only among a thousand a, a screed of a thousand words they agreed basically to um, set a global minimum tax rate of uh, 15% of at least 15%, uh, which would apply around the world. They, they they plan to work towards trying to get agreement for this, and more explosively, um, from Ireland's uh, point of view, is that they were they they will work to basically upend the way multinationals have, or the way all companies have been taxed around the world for the last 100 years, and they plan to work towards the um, a new way of allocating the, the way corporate taxes, the way they're levied on multinationals by market and not by where the multinationals uh, uh, deem that they should put their uh, major facilities. And this 100-year-old um, tax system has basically served Ireland very, very well, yeah. especially in the last 10 years. Now, tell us about that, because uh, this has been on the agenda for a long time, uh, you know, about levelling up. And, you know, I've been around Europe and people say, oh, Ireland, uh, you know, you give no tax to big companies and so on. Can you put it in context how much the corporate tax, uh, you know, comprises the overall government tax take that helps Ireland Inc. run? And, you know, how big is corporate tax? Well, this really is a big deal for Ireland. As you're saying there, John, there's been an unending, going back 20 years, but especially since the financial crash, this process of uh, basically the big countries, the big wealthy countries on trying to make changes to multinationals, that has gathered pace since the the, uh, financial crash because there's big disenchantment among the, the big the big wealthy countries that they're not getting enough of the share of the corporation tax share out with the multinationals like Apple, Pfizer, um, uh, Facebook, etc., etc. goes on. Now, those, the, it, it's a big deal for Ireland because we have attracted a, a huge, given our size, uh, a huge outsized proportion of foreign investments from those same multinationals. Now, you can measure this in a quarter, directly a quarter of a million jobs are are, are provided mostly by, um, are, a lot of those are, are provided by U.S. multinationals, all the, all the names that we know from Google to Apple. And the, and the importance is also measured for Ireland in that it is actually paying the bills. Um, it's paying, the, the, the receipts 
that the government collects from the multinationals has ballooned from four billion only uh, seven years ago to last year, despite mm. the raging pandemic, to twelve billion, and that accounts for. 20% of all government revenues collected, which helps to pay for uh, the, the health uh, pushback against COVID and for all the business supports that we've, we've seen, mm. the, 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 the multi-billion supports for business over the last year. Now, people may be surprised, but the G7 isn't actually a, I don't know what the word is, statutory organisation. They can't actually implement laws themselves, but but they influence things very much. Where does this go? So they have agreed this. It'll be rubber stamped, I think, this weekend. Where does it go next to actually end up on the statute books? No, they need, uh, they, they can't really, um, aside if, if they could oppose this and it was, it was sort of law, it was, it was made into law overnight, you just go and do it. But they need support, despite their power. You know, we've got US, Japan, Germany, France, Britain, Italy, and Canada within this group. That despite the combined power of that 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 that, uh, that group, they need support of another group. Obviously, you know, as a, as a, as a wider group of uh, you know the G20. And there's a process going on for the last uh, starting by 2013, 2014, under the OECD, and that includes every practically everybody. That's about 139 states. And and they will try to, those will be obviously, the further you go down the list, uh, you, you reach Ireland, you reach smaller uh, and medium-sized countries, and their, their support will also be required if the G7 is to get its way. Yeah, now, um, the way international agreements go, they've been going on about climate change, which is probably more urgent for years and years. Is this going to be like... 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, or when can Ireland look forward? That's the wrong word. But when can Ireland expect this sting in the tail to emerge? This sting in the tail was, the, if, you, if you ask that question um, maybe a year ago, even if it's definitely a few years ago, you would not, you would have thought of, you know, it's another one of these. Because um, I've been reporting since about uh, the early naughty, the, the, since about 2003 on a plan of the European Commission for what was ungainly called a common consolidated tax base and a corporate tax base. Those threats have come and gone. The difference this time, two big differences. First of all, this support has got the uh, the US administration is totally, uh, President Joe Biden is totally, totally behind this uh, plan. And the other, uh, the other, the other thing is that most people, because there is already a process going, which has already had effects on Ireland, which not particularly, uh, which is not all, bana- uh, all malign, I should say, but the, the prediction of, uh, Finance Minister Pascal Dunhu is that there will be a deal by the end of the year. Wow. So this process is different, it would appear be com- completely different and the effects, Ireland will be affected um, pa- uh, Mr Donahue says that it will be at least 2 billion a year will cost Ireland in, corp- in reduced corporation tax receipts and then on top of that um, there is Irish experts, uh, Irish tax experts and uh, economists say there will be effects but what those effects will be one is not too sure now the other aspect of this is it's not totally out of our hands 
Um, the Irish Examiner signalled up last weekend, and indeed uh, was uh, yeah, and it was it was reflected by comments in recent days by Minister Donohue that it will seek to try to shape. Uh, you try to get like-minded countries like Ireland, which are small, smaller and medium-sized countries, because they'll have their national interests. Mm. Also, we can find common cause with them to try to push back against some of the... Uh, and after all, the G7 is looking after their own mm. economic interests. And I tell you, the best illustration of that was only a few days after last Saturday afternoon's by Tuesday, it was being leaked in the Financial Times and other London papers that the British would seek to exempt <laughs> their multinationals. In fact, a multinational based there, that, which basically means the city of London, that huge industry that Britain helps pay the British, uh, you know, government bills, mm. the, the taxes on the city of London, that they will seek to exempt uh, multinationals like like financial services from this uh, this agreement. So there you go. That would so be an interesting one, given um, the the United Kingdom's um, kind of shimmies, for want of a better word, on the whole um, agreement with uh, the EU. It puts it in context, doesn't it? And a, an important precedent's been kind of created yeah. there. It puts it in context with the RC border. Let's put it this way: their patchy, uh, mm. patchy record for <laughs> uh, living up to international agreements within yeah. weeks. But it's interesting the, that there's not there's big national interests even among the G7, which differ, and there will be as we go down the list, there will be potentially common cause for the likes of Ireland with small and smaller. Countries. Yeah, but of course, um, Eamon, um, people will say, but we've got Joe Biden, the most Irish-loving, describes himself as Catholic, Irish, all that kind of stuff. Surely he's a great ally in all this, or are there different political dynamics uh, putting him on under pressure on a domestic front? Well, he's uh, above everything. He's got US um, interests at heart. And the reason this, this uh, G7 plan has... Uh, the great chance of success is because he needs he needs a global he needs a framework out there he's planning to basically tax uh, American companies inside America to collect more taxes from them Mm. and the basically he's got a he's got another huge plan despite you know on top of the COVID stimulus he's planning another two trillion dollar investment in dilapidated American infrastructure we all know how the bridges over there are. You, you, mm. you need anything it, it's absolutely yeah they never the state's investment record investment in public infrastructure is very very poor that has to be updated that is a big plan uh, to bring it to to, to but he doesn't you can collect more money from US corporates within the states but his big fear will be the, the leak to places like well like Ireland and that it put American companies at a disadvantage so he needs a framework out there across the world protecting his corporate tax in other words that US companies don't uh, go to countries like Ireland mm. in other, when, when he 
puts up his corporate taxes. Now, Wayman, this is a really interesting subject and I could talk to you all morning on the various ins and outs of it and the implications for it, but as well as the impact on our immediate revenue, the the impact on uh, foreign direct investment, which we don't know, there is what you describe as an explosive sentence in it, which could have really far-reaching impacts for Ireland beyond this immediate issue. In a, in a minute or so, can you kind of bring us through that and tell us why we need to, to look out for that? Well, the heart of this, all this, the, the, the intent, the, this one sentence in the 150 is that basically we've benefited so so much. Ireland, has, uh, the Irish Exchequer has benefited so much from the principle that you tax multinationals, you tax where they have a substantial uh, investment basis. Uh, you know, obviously, like like Google, Apple has got uh, has got substantial basis in in uh, with employment of six thousand people in, mm. in Cork, for instance. Now you you go. That principle has been a big hole has been blown through it, and the the key part for Ireland in that sentence in that 150 words is one sentence where they they decided to reallocate the the taxing rights to where multinationals make uh, most of their revenues, and where uh, multinationals make like Apple don't make most of the revenues, even though they they um, they they channel through a lot of the worldwide earnings through Ireland. They don't make the, the obviously they don't make the bulk of their earnings in, uh, in, in in through Ireland. They make the bulk of their earnings in big populous yeah. countries like like Germany, France, Britain, uh, India, hmm. and uh, and Brazil. you get my so you get my drift. So yeah, that punches through a hole through what is actually benefited us, hmm. and the in in other words, it takes it, it erodes the idea of tax sovereignty. Okay, and well, that um, is. Yes. Yes. Sorry for cutting across you there, Eamon. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Just shows you the power of words. Uh, Good. Thanks for explaining that. I'm a lot wiser at the end of that than I was before. Eamon uh, Quinn, business editor of the Irish Examiner. Thank you very much for that. Thanks, John. Thank you. Okay, that's uh, Eamon Quinn, as I said there. And it just shows you the power of words. 150 words, one sentence, and indeed one word in that sentence, market. Big uh, implications for Ireland. We're going to take a break and we'll be back just after these. At the heart of it all. Casey Law, indeed, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. When Edward Hayden comes along, do stay tuned uh, for that on this lovely Saturday morning in June. Now, ND Sports Performance is a Kilkenny-based company that numbers the creme de la creme of the world's sporting elite among its customers, but who also work with sportsmen and women, sports clubs and teams, the length and breadth of this country and indeed this County. During the week, I caught up with company founder and chief executive Noel Doherty to hear more about the company. I started our conversation by asking him to tell us about the story of the foundation of the company. Uh, well, first of all, John, thanks for having me on the show. Um, so yeah, so I suppose how it started the company. It's a, it's a really it's a really good question. Um, basically, I would have heard. For Kikin, so my passion is sports. Um, I would have heard this intermediate level, and um, we were going for our third intermediate All Ireland with Kikin, and I sustained a hamstring injury. And um, you know, obviously, <coughs> intermediate All Ireland are not something you'd be shouting from the rooftops in Kikin here, but considering how successful they are at senior level, but at the time it meant it meant everything to me. And um, then 
senior uh, medical staff uh, physiotherapist was Robbie Lodge, and I was put on a program that required me, uh, required a second person to assist me doing this type of exercise. Um, so it was a hamstring conditioning exercise. And I was a, it was an exercise I struggled with. And uh, apart from the, you know, it's a challenging exercise, but also having someone there to assist me when I wanted them, when I wanted to do or when I needed to do the exercise uh, proved the problem. And I found out the hard way that, um, you know, it's the number one injury in the GA, it's the number one injury in the premiership, rugby, soccer, and it's also the highest recurring injury in sport, uh, which I found out the hard way, as I said, uh, I just kept re-injuring and re-injuring my hamstring. And yeah, I basically, my background, I have a background in uh, mechanical engineering and design. I also have a, an economics degree kind of thrown into the mix there. But I suppose I, I simply went out and um, I made a simple a simple box out of MDF that was going to assist me to do this exercise when I wanted because all I wanted to do was get back playing for my club and, and you know, if there was a chance of getting in maybe for another run with with with, uh, with Kenny, you know, that's all I wanted. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of background that kind of started this off. And I suppose at the time then when I developed that piece of kit, um, going back in and out to, to, to Robbie Lodge, who was the physio for Kilkenny, and showing the kit and it was Robbie, Robbie that kind of highlighted the, you know, the that it's such a simple but very effective piece of, of, of kit and um, yeah so from there I suppose we we, we developed it further um, we yeah we, we, we looked into getting patents a patent protect, protection on it because you know we, we, we were speaking to people and they trained all over the world mm. and I never saw a piece you know never used a piece of kit as simple or as, as effective yeah, so I suppose I'm just, I'm not an expert on hamstrings, but there's a right way and a wrong way to, to treat your hamstring injury. And I suppose if if you treat it right, it can be stopped reoccurring. Uh, and that's what your machine aims to do, make it easy for people to, to do the treatment on their own without the need of another person there, like you said yourself. Yeah, it does. And that was our first piece of kit, was the, was the piece of kit, the hamstring solo, that you could do the exercise on your own. And it wasn't just uh, a rehab exercise. Uh, this is a preventative exercise. So this is in all the FIFA 11 injury warm-up pro- programs, the GA injury 15 program. This is included in all of those programs. Some of the best practitioners in the world are involved in developing these programs, and that exercise was in it. It's very difficult to do on your own. It's almost impossible to do on your own. Uh, but we took it to the next level then as well. So... We said, um, you know, let's let's bring it to the 21st century and let's start adding some feedback from it. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of science, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of published literature there uh, highlighting the effectiveness of this type of training. Um, and there are some machines in hospitals that will give you figures, will give you readouts. So what we wanted to do was to bring this into the field and to enable clubs to be able to do this, so to be able to have targets, to know that where should you be, 
So where are you now and where should you be? And where does the science, where does the research show you that you're less likely to sustain a hamstring injury? Yeah, so you started this um, You started this based on your own personal experience. Just tell us a bit about turning it into an actual business. Yeah, you had done economics. Yeah, you, you were pretty handy with design and stuff yourself. But how did you turn it from a, a hunch and spotting the gap in the market into an actual business? Yeah, so I would have went, first of all, I would have went to the local enterprise office in Kilkenny and I would have reached out to them for just for some mentorship and to, you know, to find out where could I go or how could I turn this from just an idea maybe into something that you could put on the shelves or you could sell to clubs and so on. Um, so from there, then I, I, I got into the um, the uh, New Frontiers program in IT, in Institute of Technology there in Carlow. And I was successful then and got into the, the year two and year three of that. So that, that kind of really helped us to um, to understand the business and give us very clear directions of what way we should be going if we wanted to kind of develop it as a business. So, um, <clears throat> you know, at the time for me, obviously, it was, it was something that was very interesting. You know, I, I love the sport and, you know, getting out there and meeting all these these teams and these superstars was you know, was always going to be a bonus. So uh, yeah, I I, I kind of went at it, and yeah, I suppose the rest is history. Um, yeah. So just give us a sense of where you're at at the moment. You know, you're now based in a an office in Kilkenny, still working with clubs the length and breadth of the country. Um, but you've also made waves internationally. Tell us about that. Some really impressive clients you've got. Yeah, so I suppose firstly, like we, we cater for all all clubs. You know, we cater for individuals at grassroots levels, uh, right up to the GA teams. You know, we're, we're going into our sixth year with the Dublin football team. Um, we've we, we work with uh, you know the likes of Kerry football, uh, Tipperary hurling football, Waterford. Uh, you know, and and further fields. You know, Tyrone and so on. But we're also from there. Then we've gone to. I suppose the UK Saracens rugby, the English uh, rugby team, and uh, the Scottish rugby team, the Scottish rugby union, uh, Leicester Tigers. We, we, we've got kits in with uh, Liverpool, with uh, Manchester United, with Chelsea, with you know going further afield then with with uh, AC Milan, with FC Roma, um, all around the world from Qatar to from Galway and Kilkenny to to the All Blacks in New Zealand. Yeah, so, and, and what's it like? Um, do you actually get to meet and work with some of these people? Yeah, I've, I've met, it's been really, it's been great. You know, I've met some some of these, um, I suppose, world famous superstars, you know. I've met the likes of Zlatan, Ibrahimovic. Um, I've met Mo Salah, Sergio Aguero, um, Owen Farrell, who'd be the English uh, fly half uh, Right down to the likes of Richie Hogan and Tommy Walsh. I mean, um, oh, you're uh, really talking royalty there. Yeah, well, yeah. To me, they're up there with those guys, you know. Um, so yeah, it's great. You know, we get to we get to travel the world with these kids, and and I suppose getting in with these, you know, these elite, I suppose, practitioners, um, you know, physios and strength and condition coaches. They mm. really understand what we're doing. They see the need for us, and you know, they're they're. They're buying the equipment and they're sticking with us a year after year, um, yeah, which is a great. I suppose it's a 
you know, it's a great endorsement of our, of our equipment. Yeah, now, um, obviously, it must be a great experience having an opportunity to meet uh, at close quarters and see these uh, personalities training, but you have to keep a business head on your shoulders. What's been the key to you growing uh, your business from your origins in Galmoy and from your offices in Kilkenny? Um, I suppose, yeah, a really, really good question there. I suppose, what, what has been the key? Well, I suppose we're, we're providing them with something that they really want. Um, and we're providing a very a quality piece of kit and a quality after-sales service. Um, so, and, and then we're, we're obviously, we're bringing out more products and based on the quality and the after-sales of the current products, um, we're retaining those clients and they're, they're purchasing, uh, and, you know, they're going on that journey with us for new, new products. Mm. Um, As sport has become um, more developed, uh, hamstring is one type of an injury, but I, I've heard many people say that, uh, you know, <laughs> as sport science develops, there's all sorts of injuries emerging. Have you started to uh, develop your product line just beyond basic hamstrings? Yeah, well, uh, hamstrings would be... I, I suppose the number one injury, as I said already, in the GA, and and that's that's kind of worldwide as well. That's that's Premiership, it's rugby, it's soccer, and it's the highest recurring injury. So that is that is an area of concern for a lot of people. So we focused initially on hamstrings. We got that right, and now we're moving on. We designed a piece of kit that can test over thirty different sets of muscles that can be used in any gym in the world. Um, started with one of our clients at the moment, the English Institute of Sport. And we developed a piece of kit that can travel on a commercial flight, that can test from your hips and groins and shoulders and neck muscle strength and ankle mobility. And um, yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, um, sport is huge, and everybody who has sport has a hamstring and has muscles. Um, how big do you think your company, ND Sports Performance, can get? Yeah, I suppose long term, you know, we're we're ambitious. Um, we believe, you know, we can be global leaders in our category. You know, our team, as I said, we're ambitious, uh, but we're also very confident that we can get there. We're always trying to improve. Like, I mean, it was it was brilliant, but a very hard work getting into the list of clients from Saracens and London Irish and Liverpool and Kerry and Dublin and all the way out to the All Blacks and high performance centres in Sweden and. Holland and Qatar and India, you know, so it, it's hard work, but, um, you know, we, we, yeah, as I said, we're ambitious and we believe we can get there, you know. Okay, well, people can check out your website at ndsportsperformance.com. Noel Doherty, founder and CEO of ND Sports Performance. Thanks for joining us this morning on The Bottom Line. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time, John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. KCLR, local at heart. Local at heart. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. Just about 21 minutes away from 10 o'clock, Edward Hayden coming up at 10 after the news. 20 Questions Now is our feature, which gives you the chance to get to know the individuals behind the businesses and organisations within our communities across the two counties. Let's meet our guest for this week. Um, Brian O'Farrell. Uh, I live in Burris in South County Carlow. I'm the CEO of the County Carlow Chamber of Commerce. And where were you born, Brian? 
I was born in Kilkenny um, and I grew up on a farm just outside uh, Greg Lamanna in Coolow on the NHD Road. And tell us about your family growing up. Uh, I'm the third of four, uh, so I've got two sisters and a brother. It was a busy pig farm uh, and we also had sheep and horses on the farm. Horses were very much my thing and I enjoyed hacking out across the country and up Brandon Hill uh, while also schooling the horses for competition. Um, there was a lot to learn and to do on the farm and I remember all I wanted for my 16th birthday was a licence to drive the tractor legally on the road. Great, and tell us about your education. Um, I suppose in one way I could say I learned a lot from Dad. Uh, if something broke on the farm, we fixed it. You know, it, there was no replacing unless it was totally unfixable. Um, so I got a lot of skills from him. I went to school in Greg Namana in the Boys National School and then headed off to Good Council in New Ross uh, for secondary, followed by um, training at the Shannon College of International Hotel Management. And then I spent 20 years in hotels. And most recently, I've completed an honours degree course at IT Carlow and I tried to um, do at least an accredited course once a year um, over the last number of years since because continuously refreshing my skills. And uh, tell us, what was your first grown-up job? For some reason, I decided very early on to go into hotels and um, I spoke to my uncle who owned a pub in Waterford and I worked for him in the candy store um, for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day when I was 15. And it was a, that was a baptism of fire and a learning experience. But my first paid job, I was in Hotel Kenny. I started off as a glass collector and that lasted for half an hour before I was in behind the bar. And um, I used to work every weekend there straight after school and before going off to compete with the horses um, in there as much as possible. Apart from your parents, who had the greatest influence on your career path? I suppose I'm very lucky to have worked with some great people over the years in a wide variety of ro- uh, roles. In my early days, I'd say people like Liam Phelan in Hotel Kenny uh, was very inspirational, right through to Pat McCann, uh, who's the CEO of the Lat Hotel Group, working with him, and even Igor Sikarev, who's the head chef at the Gibson Hotel Dublin. Many people that know as the home of First States. Locally, and even in my role now, I'm interacting with so many different people and they're constantly inspiring me, like Rachel Dial, Paddy Byrne, Yvonne Jones and MSD, you know, there's so many. It's, uh, you're so lucky we are in the area. What's your favourite thing about your career? People. You know, over the years, I've been so lucky working with so many different people, but also just meeting people and hearing the stories and getting perspectives from people and insights. You know, it, there's so much we can learn and in one, if there's one thing I always say to people, regardless of whatever business you're in, the one area you are continuously learning in is people and people management because everybody is different and you never know the full story uh, just from looking at somebody. Can you tell us the most important or defining moment in your career? There has been quite a few. I suppose the first time I was appointed to general manager uh, at the Jury's Glasgow Hotel, it was a very big step. And, uh, you know, along the way, there has been moments and events that have been really intense and testing for a number of reasons. You know, I, I even think back to when I was in Birmingham and it was a Saturday night, we had to evacuate the hotel with 1,200 guests due to a bomb alert. It was a week after the London bombings and it was 6.30 p.m. on a Saturday night, 1,200 guests on the street, not a room for at least 50, 60 miles away. And we were evacuated until 6 a.m. the following morning. And managing situations like that, um, you know, ultimately, I think when we got to the end of it and the company received hundreds of letters congratulating us for how we managed it and how we dealt with it, 
that really made it and you know there was a lot of different moments like that that really helped I think in defining your career along the way Can you tell us about your typical working day? Uh, luckily I've got four and a half year old twins at home so normally Seamus gets me up anyway between six and seven at least if not sometimes a bit earlier um, normally online by nine once the play school drops are done uh, these days it's a mix of emails and ducking between Zoom and Teams um, over the last few months uh, we've been lobbying extensively on a range of issues affecting business in Carroll and, and that means extensive meetings with TDs and ministers I try to wrap up the day by 5.30 in the evening um, to make sure that we spend time for uh, family at home for dinner and especially with the boys before settling down for the night um, I suppose during the day I don't take scheduled breaks I kind of let them drop in as we need to and I try to turn coffee breaks or things like that into meetings with members over coffee uh, because I think it's a great time to try and uh, engage with people What do you value most in a colleague? Attitude and work ethic um, Skills can be taught and shown but attitude uh, really defines a lot in people How would, you, how would your colleagues describe you? I would like to think all positive and the fact that I like to work with people while allowing them space to make projects their own and to bring their own views and creativity. Um, but I know I can be a bit picky at times and I like things done in a certain way, so maybe they might call me cranky sometimes as well. How do you deal with setbacks and overcome challenges? I think there's two different ways I look at it. One is I might either take a few minutes and go for a walk, leave the phone behind and just get uh, some air and think it through and plan. More often than not, I might even sit down with somebody, a colleague, um, somebody that are, you know uh, that inspires me, have a chat with them and um, talk about how we can um, deal with it and mm. what we can do. What's been the proudest achievement in your career so far? Um, again, I suppose there's been so many promotions at different stages. Uh, my career has always been good and a stamp of approval along the way. Uh, what advice would you give to people starting out in their careers? Regardless of whatever you decide to do, whatever direction you decide to go in, the most important thing is to remember that your skills, your ideas and your experience is transferable. You know, I think the day of going into a particular career and realising that you're in it forever is gone. How do you like to relax? Uh, believe it or not, I relax by working. Um, I think when I say that, it's doing DIY jobs at home. You'll always normally find me at home either with a hammer or a cement mixer or a saw, whatever kind of jobs it is, I've got loads of projects. During the first lockdown, one of the projects I did was building tree houses for the boys amongst other things, or else even at the moment I'm building loads of stone walls, fixing them up um, on the farm. What's your favourite holiday destination? Uh, I'm lucky to have travelled extensively, but if there's one place I love and it's where we regularly go every year uh, for breaks is down to the Dingle Peninsula. Um, it could be raining on one side of the peninsula and sunny on the other. My wife has family there so there's, and there's loads to do and explore. And when I'm down there, I normally try to get out for a swim at least twice a day. What has the COVID-19 pandemic made you realise? There are many things, spaces and places on our doorstep and sometimes we forget that uh, but more importantly I think it has reminded us the importance of connections of family and friends no matter how near or far away they are even a quick call to check up people and ask them how they're doing uh, that's been so important What business book would you recommend and why? Um, 
I love books that are based on real life and events telling a story. Uh, you know, some of my favorite books are to do with hiking and mountaineering, climbing Everest, things like that. But business books, I've really enjoyed From Kyle Hill to Pennsylvania by Paddy Bernard Burnside. Um, and it's a book that I keep on my desk. It's in the office on my desk every day. And I turn to it sometimes just for some insight and inspiration. Tell us something about yourself that might surprise us. Hmm. Um, I love baking, cooking and experimenting with food. Uh, I think that comes from my hospitality training and time spent working as a chef in Germany. What's your favourite piece of music, finally? That can very much depend on the mood I'm in or what I'm doing. Um, music from the likes of U2, The Killers and Snow Patrol was always my go-to for a long time. Uh, and I love classic and traditional, but if I was to choose a single piece, I'd have to say The Gloaming, um, The Sound I uh, remember seeing them in concert in Cannes a few years ago with Martin Hayes and they were just truly amazing and we used that song actually for my wedding It's a real shame to have to fade that piece of music, the incomparable voice of Irla O'Leonard, who of course lives in County Kilkenny. And if he's listening this morning, good morning, Irla. That's The Gloaming and the song called Saura Saura, uh, which is the choice of Brian O'Farrell, who was our guest this morning for 20 Questions, uh, the feature where we ask people who you may know for from coming on Casey Law talking about other things, uh, but where they come on and answer 20 questions, not strictly business related. Coming up, we'll be giving you tips if you're interested in starting your own business. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. 
Now, at the start of the programme, we spoke about the Kardashians and how they started their own businesses and uh, how they're doing rather well, uh, despite what you might think of the Kardashians. Well, apparently, many people have been thinking over the course of the pandemic about starting their own businesses. So we caught up with uh, Jim Woods, who's a business advisor at Carlow Local Enterprise Office, and asked him uh, what assistance and what help the local enterprise offices can give to people thinking of starting their own businesses. To start your own business course, that's a really good starting point for businesses or people who don't have much experience. It gives them a great overview of how businesses are run, the different elements involved, pricing, profit, dealing with revenue, setting up a business. And we have some very experienced people giving those courses and also providing mentoring within the course, which can be very, very helpful. Um, Now, again, those supports, they, they don't stop there. We really have a, a pathway for all businesses up to with the, the Leos. There are 31 Leos throughout the country, and really they are the kind of the first stop shop for businesses. Um, they deal with micro businesses up to 10 employees or a turnover of 2 million. And should any of our businesses, and many of them do, progress past that point, they then can become involved with Enterprise Ireland. There is a complete pathway there for people to follow all the way up should they wish to do that. But in terms of people starting off, um, the initial stages are very often the kickstart your own business, the start your own business and from there then we have a large number of courses which tend to uh, specialise a little in areas that people might want particular help with so we have uh, a number of unison courses at the moment uh, on time management, on pricing for profit um, marketing PR and communications we have Facebook for business we have business plan writing leadership we have digital media courses, um, and all these are geared and developed to help small businesses to improve their offering and to really allow them to concentrate on, on running their business correctly and profitably, which is all about. Um, a number of other uh, initiatives which are out there at the moment, one in particular is the Green for Micro. Um, this is a new initiative, uh, just been launched recently, and we're quite excited about it because there's been an awful talk about climate change and sustainability over the last period and it's here to stay, it's a very important issue and what the Green for Micro program does is that it provides small businesses with um, expert consultancy over a number of days to develop a greener policy for their business, um, which is all about really reducing costs becoming more effective in how they run their business and also be more resource efficient so that's, that's something that we're really just getting going at the moment and we would certainly invite any smaller local businesses within the Carlow area to come onto our website at the localenterprise.ie forward slash Carlow, have a look at that offering and make contact with us if they'd like to, to push forward with it. We also have Lean for Micro, which is a, a very successful course that we run with many businesses and that really is all about allowing businesses to become... Um, more efficient of what they do in that they can do things quicker, better and cheaper. Um, now we've had great results with the Lean for Micro programme and it, it often doesn't just stop at the first time. People can do the programme, they can make a great step forward in their business um, and then they might say, oh, well there's another aspect of my business I could work on as well and, and go look at that then again as well and it, it's all about getting quicker, better and cheaper. 
Absolutely good advice there from Jim Woods, who's business advisor at Carlow Local Enterprise Office. Just giving us an idea of some of the things uh, Carlow Local Enterprise Office, or indeed any local enterprise office, they're great in Kilkenny too, uh, can do to help you if you've got that great business idea, whether you're aiming to be a billionaire like Kim Kardashian or whether you're just uh, looking to keep yourself and your family on the road, uh, starting your own business is an option, but it is not to be taken lightly, so do get all the appropriate advice. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the programme. Remember, if you've any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email the bottom line at kclaura96fm.com, or if you'd like to listen back to this show, or indeed any episode of The Bottom Line, head to the podcast section on the KCLR app or search for the bottom line on KCLR on the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify. Thank you to everyone on the show this week. Eamon Quinn, Noel Doherty, Brian O'Farrell, Jim Woods and Claire Brown. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next Saturday just after the nine o'clock news on KCLR. Edward Hayden is next. But for me, John Purcell, I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Stay tuned to KCLR and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small.